David, he told me of his calling to international missions and how God had a plan that was not quite what he expected. So while many of us have a tendency to say, God, I'll do anything for you, but please don't send me abroad, right? Uh, David had a desire to go abroad, and as he got involved with perspectives, the message was clear that God wanted him to stay home and become a mobilizer of missionaries. So David and his wife answered that call, and uh, I was really impressed by that story, that he was willing to just do what God uh, wants him to do. So please help me welcome, welcome David Jackett. Good morning. Uh, glad to be here. Wow. I just, I, as I was standing in the back, I'm just like, I just want to come up and pray and then just dismiss us. Uh, I just felt like, uh, man, wasn't the worship just the spirit was moving this? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that video, Shine, is one of my favorite videos. Uh, just a beautiful piece uh, put to Psalm 67. And so when I came in this morning, I walked through the door, I heard it playing. I heard you guys singing this. And I'm like, man, and it's live music. I was a tuba player. Where you at? Way to go, brother. <laughs> Band nerds unite. Um, so I was just like, Lauren, what are you doing to me? Like, I, I just, I'm back there weeping, and I'm like, okay, I'm just the emotional one. So just to let you guys know. Uh, so I'm excited to be here. I'm so honored to be here to talk about uh, just what God's doing and kind of the big picture story. Uh, if you're like me, I grew up in church. Uh, my good old faithful Southern Baptist grandma made sure I was in church every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other time that she could find for me to be there. Um, and so I got involved with things. I got involved with the youth group. I got involved with discipleship and all those things. And I kind of went ab uh, about my life thinking, man, I've really fulfilled, you know, like if you don't know this, if you're not, you're, most of you are Methodist, you're not Baptist, you wouldn't know this. But you get kind of like a checkbox, like just if you do all these good things and you're a good Baptist person. I'm kidding. We don't really do that. Uh, but that's what it feels like. Uh, it feels like that. And even the Christian walk sometimes feel like, God, if you'll just tell me what to do and what not to do. Boom, I can do that, which we can't, right? Ten Commandments. We can't even get the most important ten right. And so I grew up just frustrated going, man, I'm doing everything right. Uh, man, I thought I would get married at a young age. I wanted to be a dad and a father really early on. Like I remember in high school and like single guys, uh, when you say like, man, girls just don't want to settle down. It's true. I scared all the girls away, man. I was like, I just want to get married and have kids. And they're like, see ya. Um, <laughs> But that's what I wanted. I was like, God, I'm doing everything right, and I'm doing all that you told me to do, but yet everything's not falling into place like I thought it would. And so I just began to kind of live my life uh, in doing what I felt like was the next best thing. Uh, and sometimes that was God honoring, and sometimes it was just honoring myself and the life that I wanted to live. It wasn't until I was about 22 years old, I took my first trip to Guatemala. Now, I had sponsored a compassion child. Uh, and that's how I made the connection with Guatemala. Our pastor said, if a Compassion wants to come in and do a Compassion Sunday, he said, we have two stipulations. One is we always know where our money is going. So any one of our members needs to be able to go firsthand and see where their money's going. And we want all of our people from one country. Uh, we wanted to focus on the country of Guatemala. So I go out and just I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to pick the top card off the, off the stat. And I pick little Rudy, four years old pick him, and I just began to sponsor him. Well, about six months later, I got the chance to go to Guatemala and actually meet Rudy and his family. Uh, and it was amazing. And so when I went to Guatemala, I experienced true poverty for the first time, what we call absolute poverty. The guy standing on the street corner asking for money is still in the top 1% of wealth in the world. That's relative poverty to our country, but absolute 
people that have nothing. I actually met a person in Guatemala that had never heard of Jesus before. Well, being the good little Baptist boy that I was and I supported Annie Armstrong and I supported Lottie Moon and the cooperative program, that can't be possible because all we talk about is supporting missionaries and that. And you're telling me there's still people that haven't even heard of Jesus? And that just wrecked me. And so I came back, I hated everything. If you've ever been on that mission trip, I hate America, I hate my money, I hate my house. I just wanna sell everything I have and move. But that wasn't the God-honoring response either. God was up to something and he is up to something. And so I began to just get involved and perspectives was really the class that brought me out of that season. Uh, someone said, hey bro, we're really worried about you. You're kind of freaking everybody out with like the whole like give everything away thing. So why don't you go take this class and you're really gonna start to learn about God in a new way. And that was the first time at 23 years old that I heard that this book is one story, one story. And here was the biggest part that really hit me hard. And maybe this will hit you hard this morning. This book isn't about you. Newsflash for somebody, but it's some people, it's not about you. It's not a roadmap to life. I've looked in the back. There are no maps of Flower Mound or Dallas. This book will not tell you who to marry and who not to marry. It won't tell you where to go to college or whether to go to college. This is about God. And what a great, gracious, loving God that we serve. And we have the honor of being a part of his story. But that's the question. Whose story are you living for? Are you living for your story and your name? Are you living for the story and name of the company that you work for? The parking space you get? This church name, not the church of God? There's a great story. But so often what we do is we go, you know what, I'm sad. And then we go to Psalms and we go, be joyous, be excited, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now I feel better. <laughs> we treat the Bible as a self-help book, which that always made me question, like self-help, I don't get it. But um, yeah, we, we treat this as a way to go. And even a Bible I had as a kid, it said, read this if you're anxious, read this if you're sad, read this if you're happy, read this if you're, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but the Bible was not meant to be read in 10 verse chunks. Imagine going to a symphony, N.T. Wright, uh, a phenomenal theologian says this, imagine going to uh, a symphony and the conductor stands up and says, tonight we'll be hearing the first 10 bars of Beethoven's fifth. He turns around, conducts the orchestra, and says, well, thanks for coming. Next week, we'll go to the next 10. You would be really confused. And people say, oh, well, if you read it, uh, you won't remember it all. It's, it's hard to read it all together. Well, you'd actually, read, you'd actually remember quite a bit, but it would reinforce the idea that this is one great, big story. And here's what I love about this. I love movies. I love, I love books, I love movies. Now I'm so extroverted, like I score so far off the charts on extroverted that sitting alone quietly reading a book by myself like starts to make me shake even talking about it. Uh, 
but I love to read. I love history. I love books, fiction, and nonfiction. I love movies. I specifically like movies that are based on true stories. Only the names, events, and times have been changed. Um, <laughs> I get so excited when I see these based on a true story, and the trailer's awesome, and then I go do some research, and I'm like, that's not how it happened. Uh, so now, like, my wife is like, do not get on IMDb until after we go to the theater. Uh, <laughs> So I, I love, and, and our culture's obsessed with movies. I tried to look up how many movies were released just in 2016. Uh, I mean, well over 1,000 movies were released across the globe. Uh, we're obsessed. Look at the box office, the, the, just the money that they draw in. But here's what I want to talk about tonight, or this morning. Um, I'm so used to speaking at classes at night, so sorry. Um, I want to talk to you about the greatest story that there ever was. And so, we love beginnings of stories. So, so, so feedback with me, okay? I want some interaction. A long time ago in a galaxy, once upon a, see, I love it. You guys are awake this morning. Starbucks must have been open. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. Every great story has a beginning because ours does. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said that the light, saw that the light was good and he separated light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. A lot of times when we talk about missions, uh, we think, oh, well, the missions verse, right? Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Well, David, if you're telling me that this is one big story and we have to wait till about here to get the mission, this book is obviously not about the mission of God. That's just a part of it. Well, what if I told you that the Great Commission starts in the very first chapter? Would that surprise you? Would that challenge you? He says in chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. By the way, uh, the first time, like when God creates woman is the first poem. So Adam's sitting there naming everything like birds, fish, naked woman shows up, poetry, boom. Um, just that one was for free. Uh, found that was. So God says, I'm creating you in my image and I want you to fill the earth and subdue it in my image. I want image bearers all over the globe. In Genesis 12, Gen uh, God comes to Abram and says, go into a land that I will show you. Abram had no idea where he was going or what that land was. I talk to people all the time. David, I kind of think the missions thing is kind of cool, but I'm waiting for God to tell me exactly where I'm supposed to go. Well, Abram didn't say, okay, Lord, I will go, but let me take six months to pray about it. And then I'll go through 18 Bible studies just to confirm that this is the call on my life. No, he stepped out in faith. 
I tell young people, older people, not old, there's no old people, right? Just older people. If you are, if you, yeah. If you are not supposed to be a missionary in a hut in Africa, you will never get there. Do you not trust the sovereignty of God that God's going to go take a snack break and come back and go, he got on the plane. (laughs) Well, we missed that one. Like, let that one go, I guess. You know, we'll catch the next. No, we have a sovereign God of the universe. So if you feel like God's tugging on you, if you just have this heart and this desire for other cultures, no one wakes up one day and says out of selfish ambition, you know what, I kind of want to sell everything I have and move to another country where I could be killed for speaking the name of Christ. That is the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, and it's a beautiful thing. Genesis twelve thirteen: I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 18, 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis 22, 18, and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Genesis 26, 4, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give them all these lands and through your offsprings, all the nations will be blessed. If you're a follower of Christ in this room, we are the stars in the sky. We are the descendants. We are the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Abraham. If you don't understand the promise that God made to Abraham, you're going to have a hard time understanding correctly the entirety of this book because it's all a fulfillment of that promise. So let's go into Exodus. Every great story has a villain, doesn't it? You know why? Because our story has a villain. Oh, folks, we have a very real villain, and he has very real power. Don't fool yourself. C.S. Lewis says, if a man begins to think that the idea of devils are true, fill his mind with the image of something in red tights and a pitchfork. Because he obviously can't believe that that's true, he will dismiss your existence. And he even says, this is a common way to mislead the human. If you've ever read screw tape letters, it's like hacking Satan's email account. It's very convicting. They're talking back and forth on how to tempt humans away from following Christ. We've, we've cartoonized, that's not a word, but I just made it up. Uh, we've made devils and Satan into this little guy with you know the, the devil on your shoulder and the angel. We have a very real villain. But in Exodus, we have a villain, and that's the Pharaoh, right? He's holding the Israelites captive. Moses goes to him and says, let my people go. (laughs) You get music, you get humor, you're getting everything this morning. So God actually tells Moses to say this to Pharaoh. God is saying, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. (laughs) Pharaoh, you are a pawn in my story. Pharaoh is one of the most powerful men in the world at this point. Egypt is the center of the universe. If all these things, these plagues, this rebellion against the Pharaoh, this is going to spread. And God says, I've raised you up and I have put you into power for this very reason. (laughs) 
I love God. 40, Psalm 46.10, be still. Okay, what's, what's next? Yeah, we forget, I heard some people saying it, but we often stop there, be still and know that I'm God. It's on coffee mugs, just go to Mardell, you can get them all different colors. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Tell the whole story, folks. Joshua 4, 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Man, when we teach perspectives classes, very common. We don't get to this verse till about week nine of 15. And people come up, and I had a woman come up to me and said, we just spent like 15 weeks on the end times and that they're coming, but you just said that almost 42.5% of the world's population still hasn't even heard the gospel. Did you know that? 42.5%, that's being, I'm on the conservative side of that number, still has no access to the gospel. Not lost, your neighbor is lost, unreached means they have no access. 42.5% of the world's population. And the disciples are asking, when do we know when the end's coming? When will Jerusalem be established? When will these things happen? And God says, like a thief in the night, no one will know the time. Uh, only my father knows. But here he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 28, 19, we know this one, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every great story has a hero, right? We hope so, because ours does. We have a great villain. Batman has the Joker. Maximus has the evil Emperor Commodus. Luke Skywalker has Darth Vader and all the other people that are sub-characters. Every great story has a hero because yours does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Matthew 12, 21 says, in his name, all the nations will put their hope. All the nations? Yes, all the nations. When we look at Matthew 28 and these other verses where we're talking about all nations, all peoples, panta ta ethne, it's the only Greek you'll hear me speak, panta ta ethne, uh, we used to think of all the peoples as geopolitical boundaries. Well, if we can put a church in Kenya, check. So in 1973 at the Luzon World Evangelization Con uh, Congress, they gathered church leaders from every country all over the world to gather and celebrate, we've done it. We've got a church in every country. Glory to God. I, I think that maybe they thought like, maybe the end will just come while we're meeting. Like that would be cool. You know, as we're singing Psalm 67, we hear the trumpet and it's like, that is that Bob again, just playing too loud? No, it's, it's, it's the real deal. But this, this 
Presbyterian minister, Dr. Ralph Winter, gets up and he shows this map of Africa and he says, this is what we think of when we think of peoples and nations. And he shows a Rand McNally, just geopolitical boundary of Africa. And then he slides and he says, this is what God thinks when he sees people. And it looked like a country of Africa that you let a five-year-old color on. Lines going everywhere. And he said, God sees peoples differently. If you look at the Tower of Babel, they said, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. <laughs> Even though God says, please scatter and fill the earth. They said, no, 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 let's build a tower. So, and then zap, we have language. Maybe we even have race and culture at that point. We don't know, but we know that language exists at that time. And so God begins to disperse the nations. And so we have this beautiful picture. So God thinks of peoples in ethno-linguistics and cultures and languages. And you may have a tribe that's just a mile from one another in Kenya, but they don't speak to one another. They've been at war for decades or generations, and there's no crossover. So just because you've shared the gospel with this tribe, you can't automatically assume that these people know the gospel now. It's a little bit more complicated and built out, but hopefully you get the main idea. So 1 Timothy, we go on. 1 Timothy 2 says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. People always say, David, what about that guy in Africa um, that's like out in the middle of the bush and no one ever gets, and he dies. Well, a lot of people care about that. Like, a lot of people bring that up, but apparently no one's, not many people are willing to get on the plane to actually go talk to him. Um, but let, let's talk about that. Romans is very clear that creation declares the glory of God, right? So we have no excuse. So man has no excuse. But in the reality, if you look at the death rate, This is about the death rate. And right now, people are dying without hearing the word of Christ. They're not lost. Your neighbor in Carrollton could trip and fall into a church. In the unreached parts of the world, even if they wanted to know, they don't know anyone that could tell them. And right now, there's very few people that are raising up to go and talk to those people and learn their language and earn their trust and to share the good news of the gospel with them. But the good news, every great story has a rescue because ours does. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, praise God for that. So David Livingston says this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, then how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Folks, we're not all called to go. I, I, you heard a little bit of my story. I had to fight, <laughs> fight the Lord. I did not want to stay in this country. <laughs> my wife and I didn't want to stay here. We didn't want to raise kids here. We, didn't wanna, we just didn't want to do this anymore. We wanted to go. And the Lord so lovingly and graciously and sometimes popped me upside the head, just kept reminding me, David, I want you to use your passion and your voice to make other people aware of what God's doing around the world. And I felt this question kept coming up in my mind, and my wife did too as she was praying. I felt the Lord was asking me, David, how many people do I have to raise up to go in your place 
before you know that my way's better. So now, I, I didn't know perspectives would be, I was a firefighter. I, I was working as a full-time professional firefighter in Fort Worth. Uh, I loved my job, big Tonka trucks, big water guns, and I got paid really good money to do it. I had no idea that perspectives was going to be a door that was open, but God knew. And so I, I said, okay, God, I, I, I just want to be wherever you're at. Wherever you're mobilizing people to be a part of the kingdom of God, that's where I want to be. And about a year later, someone came and said, hey, would you consider being the regional director of Perspectives? And I said, that sounds awesome. I, I would love to. Perspectives changed my life. And so now I get to be a part of that. And so every year, just in Texas, I get to see about 1,700 students go through the Perspectives course, which is crazy because we're Texas and we're just awesome. But Texas accounts for almost a fourth of the students that take Perspectives in the U.S., God is doing something in Texas. And, and that's not because David has a great recruitment strategy or anything. God is doing something and I'm just holding on for dear life and just like, wee. Uh, but I get to see every time I know someone goes to the nations because of perspectives, not because of me, but because of what God does through perspectives. I get their picture. We put it on our fridge. We're actually trying to build a world map in our living room where we can just put pictures because we want to be reminded of God's faithfulness that God's way is better. So one of my favorite movies is Apollo 13. Incredible, incredible story. And there's this moment in the story where they're on reentry. If you've seen this, it's just this incredibly tense moment. The capsule is coming back down through the atmosphere. They have no idea whether the heat shield made it because of all the damage and all that that happened in the story. Blackout lasts for three minutes, which is when they can't talk to one another. They can't see if, hey, are you guys still okay? There's this three-minute blackout window. No vessel has ever gone over three minutes, and here it is, four minutes, and they haven't heard anything. Now, every time I watch this movie, I am on the edge of my couch with tears. Now, here's the funny thing. I have personally met Commander Jim Lovell. I know he makes it. <laughs> like, I have shook that man's hand. So I know he makes it, but there's something about that story that just, I, I, it just makes me want to leap off the couch. Have you ever watched a movie like that where you just feel so drawn into the story? Folks, it's because there is an amazing, beautiful story playing on around you and your soul, the spirit within you is just begging you to get off the couch and get involved. Ecclesiastes says he has placed eternity in our hearts. There's just something. So I invite you, get off the couch. Some of you need to repent and you need to pack your bags and get on a plane. Some of you need to repent and walk across the street. Don't beat yourself up. We start over tomorrow. We've had to do this. If, you, if you've had neighbors that you haven't met, it's been more than six months since you've lived in your home and you haven't met your neighbors, bake them some cookies and walk over and just say, hi, my name's David. I'm so sorry it's taken us so long to come over and introduce, us, uh, introduce ourselves. You don't have to have a track ready. Like, you don't have to knock on the door and be like, can I help you find Jesus? You don't have to do that. Build relationships with them. But also know that 
there are people dying and never hearing the good news. So think about that and how you pray and how you support and how you welcome internationals. What a beautiful opportunity we have. DFW is the largest recipient of internationals and refugees. Irving, Texas is now more culturally diverse than Queens, New York. We have a beautiful story, folks, playing out, and I, and I invite you to be a part of it. Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you so much for today. God, thank you for letting us gather here together as the, as the body of Christ, allowing us to worship and sing out. Let all the nations praise you, O oh God. Let all the nations praise you. Let the, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God, I thank you so much that you have given us this book to where we can see this amazing story unfolding. You mention your heart for the nations more than 600 times in the scriptures. God, would the people in our world that never have access to Christ, would Lord, would that keep us up at night? Would we pray for our missionaries? Would we pray for the unreached, the lost? Would we pray for our neighbors? God, we love you. And we know that you do not need us to complete your commission. But you have called us in and allowed us to play a part in this story. And so we do so not because you need us, but because it brings us great joy to go to work with dad every day. So that one day we will gather around the throne from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in white robes saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. God, we love you and we thank you and it's in your son's name we pray.